This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chale. That's mintmobile.com slash chale. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chale. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I hope you're ready for another great show coming up. Daniel Cormier made some interesting comments. Darren Till might have his next matchup. And John Kavanaugh put out an interview that got my attention. All of that later, but let's begin today's show by talking about some news out of the UFC's lightweight division. So I'm over on the dirt sheet, MMA Mania. Dustin Poirier did an interview, and I gotta say that I got it from Mania, but I don't think he did it with Mania. I'm trying to give credit to whoever got this interview, but that that was my source. Dustin Poirier said, "If I beat Oliveira, I'm going up to 170." Whoa, whoa, that's it. That grabs my attention right away, cause that's a what if, right? But guys like me need what ifs. 
I don't have a chair and window cleaner to, to, to pitch to you guys if I don't have a what if. And that creates one hell of a what if because he said, if I beat Oliveira. Now, why would it be contingent? I would have asked that as a follow-up question. Why is it contingent? If this is your last time to 55, it's your last time to 55. That's not what he said. He said, if I beat Oliveira. Now, that's a little bit surprising. Because if he beats Oliveira means if he does. So if he doesn't beat Oliveira, he remains a contender at 155. If he does beat Oliveira, he leaves the division and doesn't defend the strap. These are Dustin's words, not mine. But what happens then? And I personally love this, guys. I personally love it. Dana doesn't. Dana kind of needs a, hey, you're in this division and you're in this division. I got this many guys and I got this many guys. I like it. I love when a guy thinks he can get some hardware, a guy thinks he can get some trophies. I like the interim belt, contrary to popular belief. I I, I like it when I, I like the double champ business. I like Henry talking about the triple pan, triple champ. For me, that matters. How much you can spread it around, how much you can get, how many belts you can win. I've been over to Dan Henderson's house. He had the Grand Prix belt from Pride. He, I think he had a Strike Force belt. Then he had a Pride lightweight belt. He had a Pride middleweight belt. Like that stuff's cool to me. I, I personally just think, so if Dustin wants to go to 170, I'm all for it. I don't know about the if business. I don't know if it needs to be if. If you're having a hard time making 155, if you want to leave the division, then it's either way, this is my last time. But I got to operate in what Dustin said. So let's say that he wins the belt and he bails and goes to 170. What do you do then? I mean, my first thought would be fresh coat of paint. That is maybe the greatest path to lead Dustin to Conor McGregor. If Dustin pops up to 170, there's nothing on the line to defend. He's just one of the guys trying to prove himself. Then he could take on anybody, and that would include Conor McGregor. Okay, great. But Dustin Poirier and Colby Covington have heat. They got heat so hot it would melt my microphones in here. Dustin Poirier moving up as a practical matter, as champion, and that's what he said, if I win. So that means he's going up as champion. As a practical matter, guys, does he have to go right into Kamar Usman? I mean, it's the John Jones effect, essentially, right? John Jones was the champion of 205, and he's going to leave. And Dana's like, well, then you become the number one contender in heavyweight. But does it have to be that way? John vacated, slightly different scenario. Not to mention there's no actual policy or rules. I'm just asking you guys for conversation. We're going to fiercely adhere to the rules that we make up on the spot. I'm okay with the whole thing. But does Dustin have to go right into Kamar Usman? Does Dustin want to go into Kamar Usman? Does Kamar Usman think it's fair and he wants to take on Dustin, who's perceived as a smaller guy? I mean, right, there's a million questions here. And Dustin and Kamara matter, but believe it or not, not as much as you guys. You guys, whether you know it or not, will make these decisions. You guys, whether you know it or not, make every single decision. This is definitely a democracy. Definitely. The popular opinion, particularly when it's swayed in one direction, is going to win. Does Dustin have to go and fight Usman? I don't know why he said if. If you're having a hard time getting down to 155, I think that that's very relevant. Dustin is letting us in on something. I talked to Dustin one night. You guys want to know a funny story? So I was working the desk... It was the night Volkanovski became champion. We were at T-Mobile Arena. It was the night Volkanovski beat Max, which was an upset, and they weren't the main event. It was a co-main event. As a matter of fact, the main event that night was Colby Kamara, part one. I'm just remembering this, so I'm sharing with you guys. But Volk grabs the belt, which was a big surprise. Volk was not supposed to beat Max. Many people at that time didn't think that Volk even qualified as a number one contender. Just to remember you this period of time. Every champion has to go through that, but that was Volk's night. It's on ESPN. I said, you know what, who I, who I want to see Volk fight? I want to see him fight Dustin Poirier. So I was just making a comment. I was just a dude doing his little job in his little suit and tie making a comment. It exploded. It exploded because I was doing it with Anik, and Anik loved it. So Anik starts saying it. Now all of a sudden it's getting broken into clips and ESPN is, is, is spreading this around on social media. So I leave the room. I call Dustin. I didn't have Dustin's number. I had never spoke to him before. I go to Helwani, I believe it was, or I went to Luke Thomas. Hey, you got to put me in push with Dustin now. Whoever, it was, Ariel or Luke, but they give me the, well, you know, without his permission, I'm not really giving his number. Hey, another time. I'm in a freaking jam. I'm on a commercial break and I need to speak to him now. Dustin answers the phone. It's a random number pops up. He answers the phone, and I can hear all this noise in the background, like a big party going on. And he's like, hey, I can't hear you. I can't. 
Hey, hold on a second. Let me step outside. And I'm yelling, hey, it's Chael. I need to talk. Okay, so Dustin goes outside. It's nice and quiet. He tells me to Buffalo Wild Wings, having a party, watching the fight. I said, hey, man, I just went on ESPN, and I said that you want to fight Volkanovski at 145. Now, Dustin interpreted this like I was making him an offer. He's like, well, you know, 145 is a little bit low for me. You know, what do you think of a catch? Well, like he starts going back and forth. Like I had some kind of problem. I'm like, no, 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 Dustin, Dustin, I just said this on ESPN. Anik loved it. Everyone's running. You're going to hear about this sooner or later, and you're going to hear that it came from me. I need to know, is that something you want to do? I have no power to make it happen. Is it what you want to do? He's like, well, you know, 45 is a little bit low, and I haven't been down there in a while. I, I suppose a title would be a good motivation. It's just he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting that I had already stuck this out. ESPN loved it, and he is spreading this to millions of people. Funny moment. That story has no point other than it was a funny moment. And Dustin's final conclusion, and this is relevant. His final conclusion when I was on the phone with me, he said, Shale, I'd love to fight for the title. I got no problem with Volkanovski. 145 is just not something I can commit to. Now, whether Dustin was understanding my level of authority or not, I still got a clue. I got a clue that he didn't want to go down to 45. Now, this was two years ago, three years ago. How long has Volk been champion? But now we have that Dustin doesn't want to go to 55. And I will tell you, once that decision is made, whew, it's hard to go back. Last time I ever saw 185 pounds, I was behind the curtain. I was going to fight for the title. I was going to fight with Anderson Silva. And I knew in my, and I thought I was going to beat him. A lot of other people thought I was going to beat him. And I knew I was going to leave everybody in a jam because I'm never coming back to this weight class. I'm going to grab that belt, and I am so sorry I am gone. I'm going up. I'm going after Jones, and this is going to be Monday's news. I got, I got to get this done. It's just I was at that level of discomfort. Is that that absolute level of pain, but it was also the first time that I had ever made a decision such as that. It was not a matter of every time I made weight, I swear it'd be the last time. No, man, this was the first time. And it's one of the reasons I remember it, but I knew it was true, and it was true. I will never see 185 pounds again until my deathbed, quite literally. If Dustin is in that spot, then Dustin's a 170-pounder after this. He's got one final run in him, and part of why he's going to get down and part of that dehydration process is because he knows it's his absolute last time. I don't know that he's at this point. I'm adding a lot of words to the story. But Dustin's also never spoke that way, and I personally had one conversation with him about weight, and he, you know, he didn't want, that was 45, I get it, but here we are years later, now he's saying 55, and he's using the word if. So if Dustin Poirier becomes a 170-pounder, and I don't think it should be contingent, by the way, Chael's opinion, right? My opinion on his life, he's the one that's got to do it, but I'll share my opinion. I don't think it should be an if. If 55 is that much of a strain and a drain, and it's, it's, it's in your head, here we are three weeks out and you're already hurting, and that's the real life of a fighter. He will hurt for weeks upon weeks, go through training two and three a day with absolutely no energy. I mean, beating the scale, it's a real battle. And if you want to go on and extend the life of your career, if you want to add two or three more to your, uh, years to your career, a lot of times just taking that opponent out, known as the scale, is what you need to do that. So I don't know that it needs to be an if. Dustin's going to go up to 170. What does he do? If he goes to 170 without the belt, who should he fight first? If he goes to 170 with the belt... As a practical matter, does he have to be the number one contender? You know what? We're only thinking about this from Dustin's standpoint. What about Oliveira? What if Dustin, and Dustin said, you got to stay with me on this, because this is the quote, if I win the bell, I'm going up to 170. He didn't say, after this fight, I'm going to 170. That's extremely relevant. I, can't, I don't know why. I don't know why with a loss he would stay. I don't know why with a victory that all of a sudden he can't make the weight. But these are Dustin's words. Let's operate within it. I give you an entire diva drive of what happens to Dustin Poirier. Does he move up? Does that open the door for him versus Connor? And it wouldn't be a title fight. Does he have to go up and fight Kamar Usman? What we didn't look at is what does it do for Oliveira? Let's say that Dustin beats Oliveira, proving that Dustin is the only guy alive who can beat Oliveira, and Dustin then leaves. What happens to Oliveira? If that title becomes vacant... And Oliveira proved he could beat everybody else except for the guy that is now gone. What does it do to Oliveira? And this was just tested, by the way. This was tested three to four months ago with Justin Gaethje. Gaethje fought Khabib. Khabib beat him, but Khabib left. 
Justin disappeared. Never heard from Justin Gaethje. He pulled off his social media. He stopped doing everything. Dana goes to a press conference and says, I might just keep Gaethje on ice, and I might just bring Gaethje right into a title fight. Now, Dana's thinking behind that was, he beat everybody else. The one guy he can't beat is now gone. That means that he's, it's not as though Gaethje got worse. Khabib showed he was better, but Khabib's uh, gone. That leaves Justin versus who? This was Dana's thought. Now, Dana did not go through on that thought, but he at least had it. And so I'm bringing that to you now. If Oliveira was to... Goodbye, everybody. Go up to 170. We got to figure... I apologize. Poor it. can figure out what you're going to do with Dustin up there. Does he become the automatic number one contender? Does he have to become the number one contender? Does he have to go through other guys? Do you do the super fight with Connor? Okay, that, that's that's tomorrow's problem. But the next day's problem is what in the hell do you do with Oliveira? Because now you got a division that, that's thrown its hands up again. There's few things that irritate Dana that truly irritate him. He is irritated when he has a division that has a vacant belt. I don't know why. Because it doesn't irritate me as a fan. I love it. I do. It provides opportunity. Now, instead of one guy getting to fight for a world championship, you get two guys. I look at it from a different perspective. I just see it a little bit differently. I love what goes on. When St. Pierre bailed, and okay, well, who's going to come in at 85? And not only do we have to figure out who, now we got to come up with two who's. That's a fun problem to have. I love having problems like that. I could only imagine what we'd have at 155. 155 has never been more fun. We have one of the great fights of 2021 going on right now. Right as we speak, it's between Islam and Justin Gaethje, and they're never going to throw a punch at one another. It is one of the great fights, but that fight has only emerged. And this is after Chandler had his say. This is after Darush had his say. This is after Tony Ferguson had his say. And the only reasons those guys had anything to say is because you had a belt that was vacated. The environment that that creates for me, I'm just talking the viewer, I'm talking the fan. you got a commodity of the unified rules. There's another commodity that I need to have served. They do a show every Saturday. I, I'm up Sunday uh, through the following Friday and I need to be entertained. And it's the back and forth and the headlines and the media and the who said what that satisfies that for me to get me from week to week. You guys can relate to that, right? That's why we all sit down, right? Me, the two of you, the window sheen, that's why we do this. Because we want it. We can't wait from week to week. We're too big of fans. I don't hate it. I disagree with Dana Seldomly. I do on that. I don't mind having a vacant belt. I don't think there's anything wrong with a guy going after hardware. I come with to you... With my own background, though, that of amateur wrestling. And when I got into college, you were now a professional in that you were paid to be there. You have a job to do, and it's coming with a compensation in the form of a scholarship. Even at the college level, the coaches never told us what weight we had to go. We had something. Now, once you commit, once you say you're going to weight, they damn sure will hold you to it, but you get to choose. You get to get in that environment. You get to look left and look right. You get to figure out where you're most likely to fit in. And then you will have what's known as a challenge match. Where you, I was a 97 pounder. So if I raise my hand and say I'm going 197, whoever else raises their hand, we then internally lock the doors. It's just us and the team. See what happens. And you will shake hands. One of the coaches will officiate it. They will set a timer. They will keep score. And that guy advances on and how you earn a varsity spot. But I only bring that to you because I do like the idea of a grown man, of a professional being able to change weights. Now, once he commits, he's got to follow through with that. But that commitment is done in the form of a contract, which is signed 10 weeks before the bout. So he can change. Sure he can. It was cool what Izzy Adesanya did, having the 85 bound belt, going after the 205 bound. Not to mention Adesanya didn't vacate. I think a guy should have to vacate. I do. If you're the 85-pound champ and you're going to 205, you are no longer the 85-pound champ. Chael's rules. Chael, I, I think that. But Izzy didn't do that. And when it didn't work out at 205, boom, he had, he had a nice soft landing. I think one of the reasons it didn't work out at 205 is because he didn't have to vacate. My own opinion. I've seen this happen on the world stage for politics. If a senator runs for president and the senator does not resign the Senate seat, what he's telling the whole world is, I'm not sure I'm going to be president. It's a big deal. The senator must resign the Senate seat to run for president and be taken serious. A number of senators have tested this, not resign, and guess where they are right now? They're in the U.S. Senate. I submit for you one of the reasons that Adesanya did not have the motivation in rounds four and five that Blahovich did. Adesanya had a place to fall. He didn't burn his boats. 
I don't challenge Izzy for this. I don't see it as Izzy's problem. I'm sharing with you, everything has a built-in byproduct, whether you meant for it to be there or not. And when a guy gets to maintain a championship at 185 pounds, he wants to be the champion of the world. He wants to be recognized. He wants to be on the posters. He wants to be on the top of the bill. If you guarantee that he's going to do that, regardless of the outcome of his next match, then of course there's a motivation that's gone. And what I just said is probably something that Adesanya has never considered until he just heard me say it. And he's probably going, God, Chael might be onto something there. You guys have heard that, you know the expression about burn your ships, right? It, it was the Spanish conqueror that when he came onto the island, he turned to his men, the very boats that they came on, he said, light those boats on fire. They go, what are you talking about? We light the boats, we can't leave. And the guy said, that's exactly right. We must win. We have no other way out. But it's a very real thing in life. As powerful as that story is, but it's a very real thing in life where you've got to burn your ships. There is the, the winners in life, the true winners. Plan B is plan A. Plan C is plan B, which was plan A. There is no way out. It is only forward. It is I must win. Adesanya was not put in that position. I'm digressing into a topic that's a little off the one and the point that I'm trying to make for you, which is if Dustin goes up to 170 as the champion, and he said he's only going up if he's got the belt, but if he goes up as the champion, we have a byproduct of a weight class that is left vacated, who we have a very clear answer who the next best guy is, which is Charles Oliveira. As a matter of fact, as the story is being printed right now, Oliveira is the best guy. The next best guy is Dustin Poirier. But if you just look at that from a practical matter, and one of them leaves, the other still exists. He hasn't gone down. He hasn't lost his spot. So do you have to put him? If Oliveira is to lose to Poirier, is Oliveira's next match for the lightweight championship? The answer is probably no. In all fairness, I think we all know how that's going to plan, and it's probably not. But this was almost tested in Justin Gaethje's shoes, and Dana almost liked the idea. So that's enough for us to give us a jumping off. We got to start somewhere, right? Everything has. We got to start somewhere. I submit for you, if Dustin leaves, Oliveira returning is the place we start. So speaking of all this weight class business, I want to take a moment to talk about some comments I heard today that really stuck out to me, and I'd like to bring them to your attention. Coach Kavanaugh had done an interview. Famous coach of Straight Blast Gen, Connor's coach amongst many others. In the course of the interview, Coach Kavanaugh said that he doesn't believe that people of Max Holloway and of Conor McGregor's level should cut weight anymore. They should just go way in and fight one another. He might have been more specific. I like the catch weight idea, guys. And there's a, there's a few ideas that I have, much like you. I would not take them to Dana. Like, if I had a great idea and I called Dana and I told him this, the next time I call Dana, he won't take my call. Like, he, there's stuff that he is not going to like. That's one of them. We're not going to get this way. And I think Coach Kavanaugh is well aware of that. But let's look at Coach Kavanaugh's point. Because sometimes it's okay to have some fun. One of the most fun, to use that word specifically, one of the most fun nights in the history of the sport was the BMF title. That's not just my opinion. The stars came out. They sold out Madison Square Garden. They swung the needle every which direction. It was fun. It was unique. It didn't make the world's most sense. It doesn't have to. That's what fun is about. You do everything by the book and everything's got to be interesting. Everything's got to be meaningful. Sometimes you have fun. That's something different. That's what I'm referring to here. And I like Coach Kavanaugh's point. Now, I believe the statement being made by Coach Kavanaugh, whether he meant it to this beer way or not, is that Max can no longer be champion. My interpretation of what he's saying, my interpretation of these huge names that have already climbed the mountain, they're not going to get back to the viewy peak, but they are going to matter and they are going to compete and they should go find one another. My interpretation, not his words, but I think that's what he's saying. I'm not ready to co-sign that for Max yet. I thought Mac beat Volkanovski. My own opinion, we don't have to relive that. But I also believe that Max is better now than the night that he lost to Volkanovski. My only point being, before we put Max in the category of guys that are meaningful, that have been to the top, that are now in here to go out there and do big things, but they're fun. As opposed to important and meaningful and captivating, I think Max gets one more shot. Let's set that aside and not be too serious with the comment because I do like it. 
I don't think either Diaz boy should be doing anything by the book because they don't have to. I don't think George Masvidal should. I, I fully understand why Conor McGregor won it. And there's more that are going to join that club. They're not there yet. There's some guys that want to go out and just have some fun. Colby Covington is as meaningful of a contender as the sport has in any division. But he knows that he's not going to get right in there with Usman. And instead of going the path and taking the next contender, and he's going to knock him down, he's going to, he's looking to go and do something fun. I mean, he's suggesting Masvidal and a former teammate. He's suggesting the Ultimate Fighter. He's trying to have a little bit of fun in the sport. I support that idea. I think that that is Coach Kavanaugh's overarching theme. I have no problem with a catch weight. I have none whatsoever. Particularly for guys who are no longer going to be a contender within their division. You get some of these veterans whose best days are behind them. I want to pick my words because I'm not ready to say that about Connor or Max, and I'm not attempting to say that. I'm attempting to talk about, I don't give a goddamn what they weigh. Do you? What's the difference? You've both been 45-pounders. You've both been 55-pounders. Close enough. Right? I mean, do you agree with me? The only time I find myself talking about weight class, by the way, is at heavyweight. And, I, and nobody else talks about it. I bring it up to try to prove a point. When you have Francis Ngannou, who's 260 pounds of steel, and you put him in there with Stipe Miocic, who's 230 pounds, there is 30 pounds the right way disadvantage to Stipe, something that nobody else has ever done and nobody else has even been asked to do. And then when Stipe falls down, everybody act like Stipe is done, and Francis should have won. I think that's fair for me to bring that point. Brock Lesnar does not enjoy my company. I've been around Brock, and he's been a gentleman, but I can tell he'd rather be anywhere else but me. But one point that I make about Brock, it's not meant to slide him. Brock was not a very good wrestler. That's true. Brock never had Olympic aspirations, and he never should have. He would have been wasting his time. Brock was the NCAA champion after an undefeated season, so how could I possibly say that? Well, pretty easily. Brock was 265 pounds of steel. In the NCAA Finals, he took on Wes Hand, who weighed 220 pounds. There is a 45-pound weight discrepancy. Anybody else in the tournament, not just the champions, anybody else in the tournament, if they would have had 45 pounds on an opponent, they would have whipped his ass. It would not have gone the distance. Brock went into double overtime before he could get the jump on a guy that he had 45 pounds of clomiphene on. I mean, in all, it's a fair point by me. And it irritates Brock, but I'm right. Of course, I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm right when I say it about Francis. I'm right with a lot of those very big guys where you have a gap of 205 to 265. They fall anywhere in between, and we all throw our hands up and go, well, close enough. Fair enough. It's close enough. I understand that. But there is an exception made. You don't have a true battle of skill. You don't have a true battle of scramble, of wrestling, of striking. You have a massive power. And I bring that to you foreshadowing. Because as we get a little bit closer to Engano versus Gone, as we start to do the breakdowns and we start to really look at the X's and O's of these guys, I think you're going to conclude that Surreal Gone is a better fighter, that he's more dynamic, that his combinations are a little bit more clever, his setups, his entries, his exits are a little bit faster. I also feel you're going to conclude that Francis Ngano will knock his ass out. Size matters at some point. But I got to go all the way up to the, the heavyweight class where there's a difference per the commissions of 60 pounds, a possible 60 pounds. You don't have that anywhere else. And I do think what Coach Kavanaugh is talking about, grab you and grab you and off you go. Submission underground, we weigh the guys in. We do it purely for marketing reasons. Every weight by contract is open weight. You can weigh 300 and he can weigh 500. It's you versus you. Got it, got it, shake hands and go. We've never had one single complaint, not one. Not one. It's just how grappling's done. Be my game versus your game, and I'm going to have to adjust my game if you're bigger than me, if you're taller than me, if you're shorter than me, if you're lighter than me. It's a huge problem in grappling to take on a lighter guy. It is the opposite of boxing. A smaller guy in a grappling atmosphere is your, your, your nightmare. It's a nightmare. The world of wrestling will tell you the hardest guy to wrestle is one weight class below you. It is not a size advantage. It is a size disadvantage. I only bring this to you as I regress because I do like what Coach Kavanaugh is saying. I don't care what guys weigh. And I'm tired of being so serious all the time. Let's have a little bit of fun. Connor's going to bring the circus. He's going to bring the attractions. Let's get him an opponent that could meet him halfway. So far, no opponent ever has. 
Connors had to grab that thing and run with it from soup to nuts. Get somebody in there that could help him a little bit that he wants to fight. You got you, you two guys want to fight? For me, that's what I want to see. So if we have certain guys like that, which I believe Kavanaugh's point, I'm putting words in his mouth, which isn't right, but I believe his point is some guys are not just about contenders matches, but they're still main event fighters. So what do you do with them? You put a guy who should be in a main event, you put him opening the car because he doesn't have uh, contenders hopes because some new and younger guys come in. It's what our sport calls for right now, but does it have to? And it's not for Coach Kavanaugh, it's not for Chael to decide. You have the power, you decide. Do you like the idea? Connor versus Max, forget the weight class, unified rules, what do you say? Staying in the world of fights, we'd all like to see. It's been a few months since we last talked about Darren Till, and luckily for us, there's starting to be some talk of a matchup that might make sense for him. So let's break it down. Now, I gotta tell you guys, I'm a Darren Till fan. And in all fairness, all that happened is I needed Darren Till one day. I didn't know him from the man on the mood. He was 25 years old, broke into something called the UFC, finds himself in a main event opposite Cowboy Cerrone, and looks fantastic. I don't know anything else about him. Somebody contacts me on Twitter that claims they've got a number for him. I've got to make an international call, which my phone didn't do. I had to download this app, and it was this, it was this whole thing. I call it one time, Darren Till answers the phone, and he was nice to me. You guys know how that works. Somebody's nice to you, the one and only time, right? First impressions are a big deal. So I've always liked Till. I've absolutely always liked Till, but Till also always plays things right. And Till was talking with Bisping. And as much as I like Till, Bisping is Till's biggest fan. Like Bisping, as the most respected and listened to fighter from Britain, when he gives the blessing to Till, it gives it to a very wide audience, right? And Bisping has given that blessing to Till. Bisping likes him. Till goes on Bisping's show. And Till says, I'm still a top guy. I don't care about this last loss. I am a top guy. As a matter of fact, the UFC is talking to me about, well, several names, but Sean Strickland is one of them. So the reality is whether you like me or don't like me, whether I'm on a winning or, or a skid, I'm still going to be fighting top guys. All right. Now that's a gangster statement. That is an alpha male. Well done. Associate yourself with other names. Bring the UFC in brilliant statement. The problem is Sean Strickland smashed it in his face and said, no, Till's off the board. I'm looking at Paulo Costa and Sean says, if Paulo can't put the cookies and wine down, then bring me in Jack Hermanson. Now, Jack Hermanson is a fellow British fighter. So Sean Strickland, who has somehow been anointed because of the comment Made by Till empowered Strickland. Strickland turned down one British fighter and accepted a different British fighter, which is not good. It's not good for Darren Till. It's a very interesting match. Who the hell wants to fight Paulo Costa? Well, apparently Sean Strickland. Who the hell wants to fight Jack Hermanson? Well, apparently Sean Strickland. So, what do you do if you're Till? You're in a little bit of a jam. Till's a clever guy, but he's going to have to work his way out of this. Because nobody said Sean Strickland, he said it. So now Sean Strickland, who's never spiked on anybody in his fight, absolutely all comers, has smashed this right in your face to call out two higher-ranked guys. It's not as though Sean went the other way. Right, if Sean turns you down and you're ranked high and he goes after lower guys, okay, this is on Sean. He looks like the chicken when Sean's in front of everybody because he's got the more beautiful record. Guys, there is a number of scenarios. I could lay them out for you. I could lay out four different scenarios right now off the top of my head where Sean Strickland is one fight away from being in there for the championship. A number of different scenarios. His next match, Sean Strickland's, greatly does matter. Between the two, Jack Hermanson is a straight-up killer. Paulo Acosta is going to bring a little bit more street cred, right? He just looks so damn scary. He's been so damn close in everything that he's at. I mean, Paulo Costa's a top guy. Aside from missing weight, Paulo Costa really doesn't have very many misses in there. And I could see where Sean Strickland, because of the role he's on, because of how well he's doing in the media, as long as he... Be he likes to be silly Sean right now. He likes to be crazy Sean. He's, he's got to be careful. He's on some eggshells. He even said somewhere over the weekend that Instagram had blocked him. And then he said, why? But I didn't know if he was kidding. But the mere fact that I don't know if he's kidding, and that's how I'm going to allude to it instead of telling you what he actually said that he said that got him back. I can't touch it. 
I'm so hot over here, I melt the airwaves. I can't even touch it. So Sean's got, there's a couple of landmines that Sean's going to have to navigate. But the fact, and I don't think this was on purpose. I think Sean just looked at Till and said, I'm going to move on, but I'm actually looking at Jack and I, I'm interested in Paulo. I think Sean was just being Sean. But inadvertently, and in addition to what Till had said to Michael Bisping, it was a slam. It was a very big slam. And if you're just out there playing with words and you're battling, but you're ranked in front of somebody else, you've got the ability to swat them away. Dick move if you do it, but fair game. And it's what Sean did. So what does that mean for Till? Because I happen to see it Till's way, and not only because he was polite to me on WhatsApp one time. I do see it Till's way. I do not think Till, and I'll just use his last fight against Derek Brunson, but I could use that fight, I could take it to the one before, I could take him all the way back to his championship fight with T-Wood. I don't see a problem with Darren Till as a fighter at all. I see a problem with a position. If somebody can get Till down and they can get to side control, he has a hard time with that position. But if you go and you do an average of all three of those fights, he didn't have three problems and take three ass whippings. He got stuck in the same position three different times. So I'm a great believer in Darren Till. I like Darren Till at 185 pounds. I also like Darren Till the star. I think he's a great character. Having Michael Bisping blessing doesn't hurt things. Having that skill set, having that uniqueness, which Till did show us in his fight with Cowboy Cerrone. He's shown it many times, but I'll just go back to that fight because it might have been the most surprising performance. This young 25-year-old kid comes in against Cowboy. I remember Brendan Schaub talking about that fight ahead of time, and Schaub said, if I'm Cowboy, I don't take that fight because I have nothing to gain. Then Schaub goes on to look like a genius when the whole thing plays out, but I'm only sharing that story with you just to tell I remember this. I remember this very well. This wasn't some kind of a mega fight. This wasn't the one people were clamoring for. Who's this guy? That's what Darren tells me. Who's this guy? How's he getting in a main event? How's he in there with Cowboy Cerrone? It was one of these things, and he looks fantastic, and he's also got a unique style of stand-up fighting. He still has that style, and the difference at 185 is going to carry over even more because he's going to be even quicker. He has a problem with a position. We see guys go through this at times where they get exposed. Somebody finds something, but then somebody else studied the tape, saw one weakness and got them back to that area. It's just the game. Everybody's going to go study that. Everybody's going to know what I'm saying about get tilled down, get to side control. You might have some luck staying there. And then Till's going to hear it too and say, hey, I got I, I to go sharpen up my side control. got to go sharpen up my defense. You want to know who has one of the best defenses for side control? The best in the sport. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Derek Lewis. And it is not a technique as an attitude. If you ever take Derek Lewis down and you pass guard, you haven't studied your opponent. Derek fought that Bulgarian. Ivanov, my close, Ivanov fought him at Madison Square Garden. And I remember Ivanov kept taking Derek down and he kept passing guard. I, I was just an onlooker of the fight. I'm going, Ivanov, you haven't studied Derek Lewis. Don't ever pass his guard. He wants you to pass the guard. And then Derek has an attitude. It's an explosive technique. There's some hips involved. There's a straight arm. There's a way that you turn. There is some X's and O's to it. But largely, it only works if you have the attitude, I'm getting up. Simple as that, I'm getting up. Takedowns are the same way. I was coached by Rick Stewart in college. Rick Stewart was a multiple-time national champion, but he would tell people, here's ideas of how to get in on a guy. Here's ideas of how to off-balance him and bring him to the mat. But you have to have a mindset that I'm going to grab this guy and I'm going to throw him down. That's what a takedown is. I'm going to grab you and I'm going to throw you down. It's the same thing for getting off the bottom. It is a mindset. You have to find that mindset. If you spend all of your time in the gym working on different positions and finding the armpit, my thumb goes this way and I straight arm and I turn here and I come They're just ideas. It's an attitude. Derek Lewis has it, period. Derek will not be held down in that position. It's a mindset. He's not a black belt master of that position. It's a mindset. That's going to be the hard thing for a coach to show Till. I could work with Till right now. I could show him how to get out of that position. And what I show him isn't going to be anything new. It's going to be things that not only does he know, everybody's been showing him, and things that he's been showed four and five and six years ago. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. If Darren Till buys into the, I don't know how to get out of this position, he'll be stuck there. If Darren Till says, you can shove all that up your ass, I used to not know how to get out of that position, he'll get out of there. That's Hill's plight, Till's plight. A lot of matches we'd like to see him in. Apparently the Sean Strickland 
Is it going to happen or am I wrong? Because that's up to you guys. That's not up to Till or to Strickland. That's up to you guys. Does Till saying Strickland's name, Strickland swatting Till away, make you want it more? A lot of times that happens in MMA. A lot of times the, the number one thing that we want is what we're told we can't get. So I'm asking you, does Sean saying no to Till make you want to see it more or less? Simple question, but give me an answer. Close out today's show. The great MMA mind himself, Daniel Cormier, made a comment earlier this week that got a lot of you all riled up, so let's talk about it. I've had a few days to process something. It made great headlines in MMA. Daniel Cormier came out, and Daniel Cormier said, now whatever comes out of my mouth next has to matter. If anybody has earned the right to an opinion, it's Daniel Cormier. And he's one of the few guys who is willing and generous enough with his time to share that opinion with everybody else. And when Daniel's speaking, sometimes he's speaking to you, the audience, but other times, while he pretends to be speaking you to the audience, he's given a direct message to the locker room. He's a very good leader in that regard. It's very hard to be a leader with the locker room when you've left the locker room. Daniel continues to do it. I appreciate it. And here's what he said. I will trust that you guys have heard this. I'm about five days removed on this, but Daniel came out and he did a piece for YouTube and he was talking about it's more important to win the championship than to have the money. Okay, because I fully agree with him. And I think you guys do too. How do you make that happen? That's the trick. How do you make that happen? Now, let me tell you some byproducts that are built into the sport for no goddamn reason at all. Time just went by and like anything, policies start to fall in place. One of them is as follows, and I talked to you guys about this too. Forget about the rankings. Forget about your placement within the rankings. Focus on your placement on the card. You are way better off to be main card than you are to be ranked or to be fighting a ranked guy. You are better than that to be in a co-main event spot. You are better to fight the number 11 guy in the world in a co-main spot than you are the number one contender on the prelims, for sure. So when you're strategizing and you're manipulating, strategize and manipulate how you can get to the top of the bill on the given night that you're performing. Again, much like Daniel's statement and Chael's, you put them together. How? How do you do it? A couple of built-in byproducts to the sport. There is built-in media that is set aside for the co-main event and the main event. That's why it's so important to get there. You can't be a co-main event or a main event if you're not a star, and you can't be a star unless you can get to the media. It is the major chicken and egg of our sport. How do you do it and which do you do first? How do you manipulate to get in front of the media if you're not in one of those top spots? How do you build your brand and grow? Now, the world of social media has changed all of the rules. It has made it possible for a guy sitting at home that thinks he's more clever than somebody else sitting at home and he's got the work ethic and the drive to go out and get his name out there. Great. Built-in mechanism, one that you guys already know. I do want to bring this to your attention because many fighters that are signed and under contract right now don't even know what I said to be to be true. And you must study. You must very clearly know the rules of the game so that you can manipulate them. I'm not talking about cheating, and I'm not talking about breaking rules. I'm about talking about breaking the rules that are there and manipulating them to meet your narrative and your own agenda. It's called a strategy. Not only do fighters not have it, their managers don't have it. The managers are supposed to do the thinking. They should sit their guy down. They should tell him, here's the angle that we're going to go, and here's how we're going to get there. But managers don't do that. Managers are equal dum-dums to fighters. They just got a fighter to give them a cut. Any manager that doesn't have a clear strategy on your career isn't worth his salt. Now, I bring this to you because if you get to a co-main or you get to the main, you're going to have media opportunities. A lot of guys will get up to that spot and realize that's a pain in the ass and not even show up to the photo shoot. It is a major miss. But somebody within the UFC is going to take a note. They're going to go, okay, I, I have a fighter here. I don't have a partner. I don't have somebody I can, and a note is going to be made. So to make it to the top of the bill, specifically on a pay-per-view, you must be a title fight. 
That has been tested and true. Dana has never spoken those words, and nowhere is it written down. But if you look back at the history of the sport, you find out that we've developed, as a byproduct, a policy. So it's one of the reasons of getting that title. That's one of the reasons these go hand in hand. With being the big star and being the big money fight and the title, there's also a uh, built-in mechanism to the contracts known as participation in a championship clause. If you were the champion, forget about the night you won it. Doesn't count for a top contender, but when you return to defend the belt, you will now have participation in the night. The reason that that's in place, and again, it's a policy. Nobody has to do it. It is the most generous thing in all of business, and Dana started doing it years ago, but I feel that Dana might have made a miss on telling people why. It's not just to be a nice guy, and it's not to write a great big check that I don't legally owe you. It's to now bring you in on this side of the media opportunities. And instead of you rolling your eyes and thinking, I don't want to go to this photo shoot today, or I don't want to take this phone call, or I don't want to call into this radio station, being a pain in the ass, instead you're excited, you're incentivized, and here's why. That makes perfect sense. If it gets explained to you, here is what I'm expecting you to do. Here is why you are a partner who never has to write. There is no business in the world that you can get a piece of the action without writing a check, except this one. Dana will give it to you. He is expecting, without ever speaking about it, that you're going to pitch it and make sure people know the five whys. Who, what, when, why, and where. That's all you have to do. Tell as many people as you can, as often as you can, the five W's, I'll cut you in on the night, and I'll take all the risk. Okay, great. If people understand that. So let's go back to what Daniel said. The title is more important than the money. I agree. How do we, how do we keep it that way? And I'm here to tell you other fighters that you're not going to get to be a main event of a pay-per-view if you're not fighting for the belt. Point, Daniel. You're also not going to get to fight for a belt in a main event if you aren't a known commodity to the masses who have demanded in the first place that you get that opportunity. Point, Daniel. But we keep seeing fighters want to talk about the money fight and the big fight. If you're not the main event, you're nothing. In all fairness, I mean, don't ever stop. I don't mean that in the rude way. I mean, don't ever stop. Don't ever stop your drive. Do never not ever stop pushing. Don't ever stop dreaming. Don't ever start working until you make it to that spot. Once you get to that main event spot, now we're talking about title fights because that's where the title is going to be contested in the main event. So if you're going to go out and you're going to build some heat and it's going to be against opponent, it makes a lot of sense that that opponent has a belt around his waist. But if that's just not the case... If you got a straight-up grudge with somebody and you're in the business of licensed, controlled, legal combat, I don't want to get in your way. I just want to share with you, don't come and have your hand out if the person that you happen to have a beef with isn't the champion of the world. Because Daniel's right. Daniel was speaking to you from a personal standpoint. He was personalizing and saying, I've made a bunch of money, but I've also had some belts. And now that some time is removed and I look back, the moments that I cherish most had to do with the belt, not with the money. That's great insight. Most of us will never get to know. Most of us will never make big money, and most of us will never be the best in the world. So when you have a former world champion and Daniel Cormier that's coming to talk to you, you got to listen. I want Daniel to be right because I know that he is. One of the dirtiest things that the NCAA and one of the dirtiest things that the International Olympic Committee does is they don't pay the stars of the television show. That is a scummy and slimy move. But you know what? I feel myself drawn to the NCAA and to International Olympic competition more than I do anything else because I know the purity of it. I know why the athletes are there. I know this is about the mission. It's not about the credit. I know this is about the reward. It's not about the payoff. That means something to me as a viewer, just personalizing. I know the sacrifice that athletes go through. I do agree that they need to be paid. I'm not that guy in the least. But I will also tell you that it's nauseating when those athletes start talking about what they're being paid and complaining it's not enough. As arrogant and disgusting as it is, take the Floyd Mayweather approach. Right, money, Mayweather, and he's throwing money around, and he's wearing Rolexes, and he's making $50,000 bets. Think of how disgusting that is. But you're more compelled to watch that and appreciate it and get behind Floyd a little bit. Then you are the other millionaire who only has to show up for work three times a year, largely because God blessed him with something no DNA and made him a superior athlete in the first goddamn place, and he's complaining he's not rich enough. 
that's that's annoying. It's very annoying to hear a guy who you sit back and watch, who you're vested in his career, who you're giving up time, the only thing on earth you can't get back, and some of the money that you earned as a fan, as a viewer, have him make it, take the fame, take the credit, do a job where he can be recognized publicly. Do any of you get that? Think of how cool that would be. Think about how much you don't like doing your job. Now imagine you have the same job that you just said you don't like, but let me tell you, let me add this, you're going to be publicly recognized for it. You will get recognition and a pat on your back from your peers and even strangers. All of a sudden that job's not quite as bad, right? So that's pretty cool. Well, it's a cool and a not so bad part of this sport. And if you do become the world champion, you will forever be known as the world champion. David Taylor just won the Olympic Games. He didn't give a damn about the medal. What he said, and it's the only thing he said, he's made this statement four times, and I heard all four. He said, for the rest of my life, they will call me Olympic champion. And he was so happy and so content. It's a powerful message because he's right. And the same carries over to the world title. You will forever be known as the world champion. If that doesn't mean something to you, you're not going to have the fans. If that goal is not what you aspire to, you're not going to have the fans. You cannot do one without the other, and you can't expect a whole bunch of pay unless you follow the mechanisms and the policy that says the championship participates. So Daniel is completely right. That's got to be the goal. That's got to be tunnel vision. If you have something in your way, demonstrate to the fans that it's just that. Demonstrate this next match or this contender's fight or this ranking fight is a speed bump in the way to me becoming the champion. The championship has to be what matters. It has to be coveted. You must know that yourself or you're not going to prepare correctly. You must let the audience know that is all that matters to you or they're not going to watch you perform. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I have had it with you all. Thank you for listening, leaving reviews, subscribing to my YouTube channel, and for everything else that you do, I really do appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend off from UFC, but I promise I'll be back here next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.